Now listen, the original legend of the witch of Yazoo City has been told from the perspective of <laughs> strangers for over 135 years. But what if we've had it wrong all along, y'all? In this retelling, our author shows us a very different side of the tale. This episode contains descriptions of gore and animal cruelty, so listener discretion is advised, y'all. Most folks are good, really, deep down. There's some that are worth the dig, and then there's some that just aren't. And life, my dear, is all about finding out which is which. The woman sighed and shook her head as she noticed the two putrid bodies floating in the shallow waters next to the washing rock. That made five men she'd found who'd lost their lives in the Yazoo just this month. Mm-mm-mm. What a shame. She stood and made her way down to the riverbank where the flies had already started to swarm. She never knew any of the men who washed up with their eyes and their tongues chewed out by the fish and their bodies swollen after popping up out of whatever hole they fell into and drowned. And these poor men didn't look to be any different than the others who had climbed too far into their cups only to topple up out of their boats into the river never to be seen again. You'd think, with all the ignorant town gossip about her being some man-eating witch, that that'd be enough to keep these damn fools away from the upper part of the Yazoo, what with all of its deadly natural weirs and holes. But sure as the world spins like a little round top every couple of months, that another body or two would wash up just down the stream from her tiny cabin. And just like with all the others, the woman would drag this dead flesh out of the water and say the prayers her mama and granny taught her to say when honoring the dead, and then bury him in the high meadow behind her cabin. <laughs> Man-eating witch. <laughs> it made her laugh every time she thought about it. Though, the woman really couldn't blame the folks in Yazoo City for making up stories about her. It wasn't like she was the friendliest of people. And that wasn't her fault. Well, she just didn't like people, plain and simple. Other folks made the woman as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rockers. And that's why she chose to live out in the middle of nowhere, because she wanted to be alone. But that never did matter, because so often folks would come messing around, either out of plain good-naturedness or old busy-bodied nosedness. Hell, what's the use of living alone if ain't anybody ever going to leave you alone? Why... That's the only reason the woman ever went out of her way to scare folks sometimes, only to keep people from bothering her. No, the woman never did care a lick about what folks in town thought of her, but she did mind what they let their boys run all over the place doing like demon heathens. She may not be a witch, but she did have eyes, and she could see when them boys was hiding in her brush near her cabin. And she could hear the older of them then and threatening the young'uns to run up and touch her porch, else they'd get the tar beat out of them. And she knew when they'd been messing around when she'd come back to her cabin and find broken windows and boot prints in her vegetable garden. What them little hellions didn't stomp to death, they outright stole. And honestly, the woman wouldn't care a bit if them boys truly needed the food, but she'd always find the fruits of her labor and their cruelty rotting away along the path back to town. Well, it's a thousand wonders the woman hadn't already starved to death some winter because of their torment. But what bothered her the most, though, was them poor cats. 
All too often, the woman would wake up to find another dead cat hanging from the low limbs of the old sweet gum tree in front of her cabin. Well, she knew why them horrible boys did it, but that didn't make their evilness any easier to swallow. It's probably true that cats made wonderful familiars for them who was witchy folks, but they'd always made her sneeze and swell up like a bullfrog. Even so, the waste of an innocent life due to ignorance and plain old meanness was just heartbreaking. Every time the woman found another of the boy's victims, she'd carefully remove its viscera and wrap the cat's body in salt and burlap, then tuck it away along the walls in her attic. Now, her mama had always told her putting away a dried cat in your home would always ward off the bad luck and evil spirits, and the woman figured she could use all the help she could get. Now, by the time she returned to the tiny cabin and tacked up old Sal and returned to the riverbank that morning, the sun was high overhead. And even with the mule's help, she never had an easy time of dragging a waterlogged body out of the Yazoo River. Depending on how long they'd been drifting, sometimes them poor old souls would just already be missing pieces all over. And sometimes bodies would just tear apart at the seams when the woman started hauling them out. But no matter how hard or how foul the work was, she never wavered. Despite knowing these men would never have given her as much as a howdy-do in life, she'd never abandoned them in death. Oh, sure, it'd been much easier to have let nature take its course and have each and every one of them. It'd only serve them right for all the hatefulness and bitterness they'd shown her over the years. But that's just not how the woman was raised. Her mama and granny had always taught her to respect life and death and to give honor to both when called to do so. No matter the circumstances, a body must be honored for a soul to pass on. And that's what she'd been told, and that's what she'd always do. And even though she'd end up with a sore back and tired muscles and doubled the work tomorrow because of it, the woman labored well into the dark to haul them bodies out of the river and dig their graves. And now that the men had been cleaned up as well as could be expected for two corpses pulled out of the river, the woman began her keen and wail for the dead. Now, Joe Bob Duggett hated being out on the Yazoo during the spring. Even more so, he hated being out on the river on spring nights, but he couldn't help it this time. Fishing didn't come easy to Joe Bob, and it had taken him all day to catch enough fish so he could sell them in town to buy this season's supplies for the farm. Now his arms were exhausted from fighting the cunt and using his pole to guide the raft into the shallows of the river to get back home. It's all poor Joe Bob could do to keep his eyes open while he pushed that pole into the bottom of the river. Getting up before sunrise wasn't so bad. Is the being up awake well past sundown that was doing him in. And his stomach was gnawing a hole in his backbone, too, since there hadn't been enough money after buying all the supplies to even get a cup of coffee at the hotel in town. Joe Bob had just began to whistle to try to distract himself from his woes when he heard the god-awfulest scream he ever did hear in his whole 17 years on this earth. Now, with all the grace of an elephant on a tightrope, Joe Bob pushed his raft up onto a narrow shoal and jumped onto the river's sandy bank. And as the wailing screams continued, he heaved his raft the rest of the way onto the shore and bolted into the darkness straight towards that terrible cry. 
It was hard for Joe Bob to figure which way the scream was coming from in pitch black and night, and as he ran, the boy began to question his brash actions. But just then, he suddenly saw a flickering light just ahead of him, so Joe Bob quietly hustled up to a bald cypress and ducked down behind the trunk to get a better look at the frightening scene. Uh, Joe Bob had grown up hearing all about the witch who lived out on the river, he never really given much thought to the rumors about the woman, though. Joe Bob preferred to believe in things he could see and touch rather than the idle whispers of the folks in town. But as the boy crouched in the darkness beyond the lantern's light, all those rumors came rushing back to him. Joe Bob saw it was the woman who was screaming, but it was more than just wailing cries, he realized. The woman was singing as she yipped and hollered and yelled at the top of her lungs. Joe Bob couldn't understand the words of the horrible song, but he was sure it couldn't be anything good. And the woman swayed with her arms held high over her head as she continued her awful carrying on. And it was just then that Joe Bob noticed there was two heaps laying at the woman's feet with two holes next to them. The boy had to stifle a cry as it dawned on him what he was seeing. In the lantern light, it was hard to tell, but Joe was sure there was pieces missing from them dead men. An arm from one, and a leg from another, and one of the men even looked like he had half his face missing. Were the stories true, Joe Bob wondered to himself? Was the woman really a witch who ate men she caught out on the river? Was she casting a spell on them bodies with her cattle wallet? Would she see him and catch him next? Well, like a scalded cat, Joe Bob jumped up from behind that bald cypress and he ran back towards the riverbank. And in a tizzy, it took him a few minutes to figure out where he left his raft, but after he found it, he turned towards town and rode the cons back to the docks. And by the time the boy staggered into the sheriff's house, it was nearly midnight and Joe Bob was dead on his feet. Was all he could do to spit the words out between gulps of air, all the while the chef trying to piece together what was so damned important in the middle of the night. Well, once the story finally made sense, though, the chef sent Joe Bob and his two sons out to gather up several of the men in town. And as soon as the glorified posse was saddled up, they took off towards the river. Well, now, the woman knew that there was something wrong when she walked back to her tiny cabin that night. Now you can call it a sixth sense or a witchy intuition if you want to, but there's just some folks who know when there's trouble brewing. Then her keening prayers for the dead men, a tingling feeling at the nape of her neck kept telling her that she was being watched from the darkness. With every shovel full of dirt she pitched onto them men in their shallow graves, that tingle slowly turned into dread. And by the time the woman reached her porch, that dread had turned into fear, and she knew her home was no longer safe for her. Well, quickly as she could, she gathered a few meager supplies and then hurried into the root cellar to collect what food she could. The woman had no idea how long she'd need to be gone for, and she could only hope she could trap enough food on top of what little she could carry with her. Well, no sooner did the woman pull the drawstrings closed on her satchel did she hear the sound of horse hooves thundering outside. Without a sound, she turned down the wick in the lantern and waited in the cold, dark cellar as boots thudded above her head. 
Now, the sheriff had already had just about all he could take of this late-night wild goose chase. He knew Joe Bob Duggett wasn't the sort of boy who went around telling tales, so when the young'un was nearly beating down his front door saying he'd seen the river witch sacrificing two mutilated bodies of men, he didn't waste no time gathering up a posse. But to the chef's utter dismay, by the time they got close to the river, poor Joe Bob didn't rightly know where exactly he had seen the witch and her victims. <laughs> For nearly an hour, they wandered around following that boy while he searched, till the chef finally realized that they'd been walking in circles as they passed the same tree for a third time. And now, the closer they got to the witch's darkened cabin, the more ridiculous the chef felt. He couldn't believe he was out in there in the middle of the night about to wake up a curmudgeonly woman to accuse her of being a witch like some town gossip. Well, the door swung open on its hinges as the chef knocked on it. He hollered into the darkness that he was here to speak to the woman, but he could only hear a few of the horses nickering outside and his own quiet breath. When he stepped into the tiny cabin, it was plain to see that the witch was nowhere inside. He called for a couple of the men to follow him inside while others were to look around outside. One of the men spotted a ladder inside the cabin leading up to the loft area and shimmied on up to see if there was anything worth finding. And why, you'd have thought somebody was trying to snatch that fella bald the way he yelped and jumped down from the top of that ladder to the cabin floor. Well, like a shot, the sheriff hustled on up that ladder to see just exactly what had that man in such a state. No less than two dozen dried-up cats were leaning up against the loft walls like dolls at a tea party. The sheriff nearly lost his supper right there and had to be helped down off the ladder by the other two men. Well, what sort of person could do that to helpless critters, thought the sheriff as he mopped his brow with a well-worn-out handkerchief. The sort of person who would mutilate men and bury their bodies in cursed graves, that's who. The sheriff dashed out of the tiny cabin and called the rest of the posse to him. He's gonna find that witch and put a stop to her evil madness once and for all. Now the woman could hear everything happening above her head in her tiny cabin. She heard the men talking about some boy seeing her as she keened the prayers her mama and granny taught her as a child. And they said the boy thought she was cussing the men after she had eaten parts of them. <laughs> well, if that wasn't utter horseshit, she didn't know what was. Well, of all the times a woman had been called a witch in her life, this was one time she wished she really was one, so she could hex all them idiots above her head for thinking she could ever do such a thing. Well, just as she was about to grab the handle of the cellar door, the woman heard someone yelp like a kicked dog and thundering racket on the floor above her head. And she heard one of the men muttering something about dead cats, and the woman felt the blood in her veins freeze like ice. She knew her fate was sealed now. There's no way she'd be able to explain away all those cats, especially not after what that boy had said. The woman knew her only chance was to run. Thankfully, she knew these woods and the surrounding swamps better than any of those men ever could. She knew she surely could sneak away and hide from them well before they ever even found the cellar. Quietly, she grabbed her satchel and eased the cellar door open. And seeing that none of the men were nearby, the woman crept past the cabin and rushed into the woods straight into the swamps. 
The men searching outside heard the sheriff bellowing at them and hot-footed it back to the cabin. Nearly blind in the dark and rushing as quick as he could without breaking his neck, Joe Bob ran through the woods back towards that tiny cabin. And just as he rounded a huge bald cypress, the boy ran smack into somebody running full tilt the other direction. With his brain shook a little loose, it took Joe Bob a few minutes for him to realize that the person that ran over him was the river witch. Well, the boy shot up and ran back to the cabin, screaming his head off that the river witch had run off into the woods. Well, the rest of the posse bolted towards where Joe Bob pointed, with the chef praying the boy's sense of direction had improved as they ran. Even panic coursed through the woman's veins as she darted through the trees. She knew better, but she couldn't help but look over her shoulder to see if the men were following her. The woman knew her life depended on being sure-footed and smart about her escape, and with a sob she quickly realized her fear had gotten the best of her and she was completely lost. Now her only hope was to stay ahead of the men and pray they'd give up before she gave out. She felt the ground beneath her feet sink with every step as she trudged through the swampy marshes. And just as the woman ran into a small clearing, in a flash the ground beneath her fell away and swallowed her up to the waist. With a cry, she desperately fought the quicksand and tried to free herself, forgetting everything she'd learned from all her years of living on the delta and the deadly trap in her panic. With every moment, the woman sank deeper into the sandy water as if some horrible sea creature was pulling her into its nasty maw. She screamed and cried for help, knowing that the men would hear her, but none of that mattered to her now. And just as the sand slipped up over the woman's ribs, she saw the chef bust into the clearing. The men stood next to the bog as the witch screamed for them to help her. And the chef warned them that if any of them even so much as tossed that evil hag a twig, that he'd pitch them right in there with her. The way the chef saw it was that the devil was getting his due. Why fish the witch out of there and drag her back to town and waste time on a trial only to end up hanging her in the end anyway? Letting a swamp have her was a much more fitting punishment, he thought. The woman continued to howl and thrash as she pleaded for the men to help her. But suddenly, as the silt slipped up towards her head, the woman's fear turned into a white-hot rage. They were going to let her die in this swamp. No trial, no jury, no chance to defend herself. Just the execution. With what little strength she had left in her before the earth claimed her, the woman screamed a curse at the men in a clear, booming voice that startled everybody standing there watching the grisly sight unfold. I may not be a witch, you sons of bitches, but I still curse all of you all. I swear I'll come back in twenty years and I'll burn this town to the ground. The sand swallowed the witch up as her final words rang out in the men's ears. They all stood in silence as they watched as the quicksand surface quivered with the witch's death throes and then became still and calm. Once the sheriff was sure the witch was good and dead, he had a few of the men fish her body out of the bog so as they could take her back to town and put her on display. And as the men turned their mounts towards town, with the witch's body slung across the rump of the sheriff's horse, Joe Bob Duggett asked if anybody knew the witch's name. Shame and guilt swept across the faces of the posse members. Not a one of them could recall if any of them had ever known. 
Well, after two days of being on display for the citizens of Yazoo City to gawk at, the woman's body was finally laid to rest in the center of the Glenwood Cemetery just outside of town. By then, the woman's final words had spread through town like a flash flood and had everybody worked up into a lather. Eventually, though, it was decided that hanging a thick and heavy iron chain around the woman's grave would be enough to keep her from returning to fulfill her promise. And on the afternoon that the chain was hung, the sheriff said, If that witch can break through them chains, then she deserves to burn down Yazoo City. And with that, the plain headstone that was etched with the letters T.W. was placed on the grave to mark the site, and the whole affair faded from the town's memory. Well now, it was shaping up to be an absolutely beautiful day on the morning of May 25th of 1904. There wasn't a cloud in the sky or a breath of wind to be had, and Miss Pauline Wise figured she couldn't have wished for a better day for her wedding if she had tried. Everybody in the family was running around in a tizzy, making sure that the house was all fixed up nice for the reception after the ceremony that afternoon. Folks was rushing in and out of the parlor all morning long, delivering flowers and packages and decorations. Nobody's quite sure how it started exactly. A cigar left burning on a table, lamp catching the drapes a lot, or a naughty little fella playing with matches under the porch. But before anybody could realize what was happening, the entire wise house was ablaze like a torch. Now thankfully, everybody inside the house escaped without injury. The volunteer fire department arrived within a few moments and worked quickly to contain the fire, but it was no use. A fierce and raging wind blew from out of nowhere and caught up the embers of the fire and swept them towards the business district. In no time, the entire city was burning, and some say they watched as the flames leapt from building to building like they was alive and being guided by some unseen force. The unusual wind continued to push the fire throughout the city, consuming everything in its path until nothing was left. 124 businesses and over 200 homes were destroyed that day, but not one life was lost. Well, except for Mr. Chambliss, but hell, everybody knew if he hadn't tried to rescue his whiskey from the fire, that wall wouldn't ever have fell on him. Anyway, in the days after the fire, the whole town was in shock as they tried to sift through the rubble and figure out a way to start over. A tent camp was set up for the folks who'd lost their homes, and food and supplies was donated from folks from as far away as Jackson to help those in need. It only took two years for Yazoo City to rebuild, bigger and better than ever. But the thing is, to this day, nobody knows exactly how the fire started or why there was flames a-jumping through the air like living beings. Now the day after the fire, a number of the townsfolk figured they'd mosey on out to the cemetery. Oh, you know, just to see. None of them really expected to find the chains around the woman's grave to be broken, but they just had to be sure, just so's they could say for certain that it was all just a freak accident, not some witch's curse come true. But as they got closer to the woman's grave, those townfolk quickly realized that the witch had kept her word. 
that strong, heavy iron chain surrounding the woman's grave had been ripped clean in two. And as they all stood there gawking, they figured that if the witch could break the chains and destroy the town once, she could do it again if they weren't vigilant. Since then, the town of Yazoo City has tried desperately, but entirely in vain, to keep the chains around the woman's grave intact. But no sooner than a link is repaired or replaced, another one breaks or goes missing for some reason or other. Town law claims that once all the links of the chain have disappeared, the witch will once more rise from her grave and take her revenge on Yazoo City. But y'all, I don't think she will. I think the woman's spirit was satisfied that day back in 1904, and now all she wants is for somebody to tell her side of the story and to finally be left alone so she can rest in peace. Hey y'all, I'm Miss Dahlia and this is Southern Hank Stories. Now, y'all have probably realized that this week's episode is just a mite different. Well, that's cause we're all a bit heartsick here in the harbor. You see, just recently, our dear friend Joel Hunt was taken from us entirely too soon. He was one of the best human beings that has ever walked this earth, and everybody who ever met Mr. Joel became a better person simply by knowing him. Now that quote you heard at the top of the episode, the one voiced by the wonderful Jam Enfinger from the Storage Papers podcast, well... That's something Mr. Joe said to me many years ago that has always stuck with me. And the way I figure it is, Mr. Joe's words are especially fitting for the woman's story. And adding his thoughts to this episode is the perfect way to pay tribute to the man who touched so many lives and left an impact on so many folks. You'll be deeply missed, Mr. Joe. Rest in peace, you adorably wicked gnome. Well now... Y'all go and hug your loved ones tight and have a lovely day now, you hear? And I'll see y'all back here in two weeks for another Southern Hank story to creep up under y'all's skin.